everybody, welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies and a special episode here where Rob is joining me again. Uh, you know Rob from episodes like The Matrix. Uh, we've been doing the Mandalorian recaps, but this is the first ever what we're dubbing Matt Goes to the Mailbox segment because we've asked for viewer feedback on a couple of topics that we're going to be going over where we're not reviewing one movie. We're actually going to be reviewing announcements with everything that's happened with HBO Max and Warner Brothers, uh, the Snyder Cut, which will be coming out in 2021, and the plethora of Disney Plus announcements that came out um, during the week. There's a lot to go over. So, Rob is here to help me with this. We'll actually be going into the show's email and answering some of the uh, questions and talking about some of the things that the listeners said about some of these announcements, which is really exciting. So, Rob, um, a, a first time here for this kind of segment for this show. So it's it's exciting because there's a lot to talk about with what's been going on lately, some unprecedented moves in terms of content release? Um, you know, I think it's unprecedented how many times we've said the word unprecedented yeah. in 2020. <laughs> so um, why not just roll with it? Um, you know, I think, uh, first of all, I think it's a lot of fun to be able to sort of just kind of uh, talk about the state of film right now and the state of, of entertainment right now. Um, what's it going to look like in the years to come? Are you going to have to rename your show? Matt goes to his couch because there won't yeah. be movie theaters to go to anymore. You know, is that is that something we have to worry about? Um, and I think with one of the topics we're going to get to, um, you know, that'll certainly be the, the question: Will will movie theaters survive the pandemic? Um, I I personally think they will. I think it's too ingrained in the culture. I think that um, by the time we get out of this. Um, certainly we know that toilet paper and paint were the things people bought during the pandemic. And when they get out of it, I think people are going to go nuts going out. I, I think people are going to um, buy grills. I think they're going to buy beer. I think they're going to buy live sporting tickets. I think they're going to buy concerts. Um, I think people are going out. I think they're going to the movies. Um, I hope that theaters um, stay. As, as an institution in our culture. And certainly at multiple times of, of your show, um, you've talked about the actual theater experience when you've gone to see some of these films on opening night. You know, you're a guy who goes on opening night because you're looking for that theater experience. You're looking to have, um, you've described conversations you've had with total strangers in the parking lot after I think some several Marvel films. You know, I mm -hmm. think there's a lot of people that are looking for that. And it would be a shame if, um, you know, that, that we'd lose that altogether, that everything is now just streaming. Yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting time that we're in in regards to, you know, what people can do, what people can't do, what they're willing to do, even if they are able to do that. Um, you know, is somebody willing to go to the movies during this time frame? Um so it's interesting. And like you said, I, I am a person who, you know, goes to the movies because I'm looking for that experience. Um, it's not that I won't watch a movie at my home, but, you know, I've described several times, Rob, to you and even on, you know, some of the episodes that we've done to the listeners 
some of the experiences that I've had in the movie theaters where it's just incredible how a movie will bring total strangers together because we all have that in common. And yet I might never, you know, probably ever talk to that person again in my lifetime. But for that one moment, we had a really cool shared experience um, that I'll remember, like I'll remember my experience from Endgame in, in Infinity War you know, until probably my memory slips as I get older. Um, I will remember that. I will remember what it was like going to see Batman Begins in the theater. Um, and then once people realize that, holy cow, Batman's good again, um, going to opening night of the Dark Knight movie and that place being absolutely packed and people standing outside and you know, just people actually being respectful when people were walking into the theater and people were walking out, like people would kind of like shut up and stop talking because they didn't want to spoil uh, like what was going, like what they had just seen for fans who were going into the movie. Um, so I hope cinema doesn't die, but you know, for listeners um, right now that are going to be listening to this episode, what Rob and I are going to start with is, you know, I think, Rob, this is a good segue into talking about Warner's decision to release their 2021 slate on HBO Max the same day that it would release in theaters. And there's a lot of varying opinions on this topic. Um, and there's a lot that are pointed to the side of this is a terrible idea. And that's that's really coming from the filmmakers. There's been some some pretty pointed articles over the past couple of days of these directors just slamming Warner brothers for making this decision on releasing these movies on their streaming service, um, calling it a disservice to the movie industry and basically an insult to them too. Um, also going as far as to saying that there's some of them that are suing, uh, claiming that there's some breach of contract involved um, with this process. So, Rob, what are your initial thoughts when this announcement was made and some of your thoughts on after, you know, some of these articles have, have come out? You know, there's just like everything else that's happening in our world right now, it's hard to have just one viewpoint um, and, and really be truthful with yourself. So listen, a lot of what we're talking about is the fact that there are films in the can that we're ready to be released um, that were staged and ready to go that are still sitting um, on a shelf getting dusty right now. Um, largely um, as I have kind of done some research into it because of the decision of two States, New York and California choosing not to allow movie theaters and their governors choosing not to allow movie theaters to reopen um, at any point of the pandemic recovery. Um, and without those major markets of New York City and Los Angeles, um, your film will not make the kind of money that you believe it will make without those major media markets. Um, for anybody who doesn't think that, that that kind of stuff matters, major media markets really determine a lot of what happens in our culture um, with film, with sports, uh, with television. Um, they really are the, the driving force because of how many millions of people they represent. Um, you know, even things like radio, um, things like local news, the bigger the market, the more things like that matter. Um, uh -huh. So with, with those two governors, Gavin Newsom and, and um, 
and Andrew Cuomo not allowing theaters to reopen, which I, I don't want to get too far into it, but it seems to me like going to a movie theater is about the easiest place you can social distance. Like it really feels kind of odd that theaters couldn't open, but you could be at Home Depot um, with like 12 people standing on top of you. Like that one always felt kind of weird to me, but I, I don't think we want to quite go down that road right now. Um, there's, it's very, it's very conflicting. You know, these films that are, that are just sitting around, the studios have already spent the money. The banks have financed the studios. The studios have spent the money. They've paid the stars. They've paid the directors. They've paid the craft service people. They've paid the guy to hold the boom mic. They don't make any of that money back until the film releases. And they right. know that the tried and true method of film for as long as it's been going on is you release it in a theater and you reap those box office receipts. That's the way to make money. Now, we've certainly seen Netflix has put out a lot of quality movies um, to their streaming platform that has not released elsewhere. Certainly Hulu has, and and we've seen other other streaming platforms release um, film directly to that. Um, certainly we saw Mulan that was supposed to be a theatrical release. Disney decided to kind of do it as a pay-per-view on Disney+. Plus. Um, we saw Trolls World Tour uh, on, released to video on demand. Um, so there is precedent for quality film to be released streaming only. Um, but I don't think that's the way that the studios really want to do it. I don't blame them for trying that, though. I don't blame Warner Brothers for trying to say, we want to meet our fans wherever they're willing to come. Because certainly everybody's comfort level of this pandemic is different. Um, certainly, we know that there's many people out there walking around, no mask on, um, no distancing. They're going over to friends and family's houses, and they don't believe that there's anything wrong with that. And we also know that there's people that have sort of shut themselves off and walled themselves in their homes and, and haven't left it um, since this thing started to get bad and, and kind of everything in between. Um, and these studios who have already invested millions of dollars um, to create these pieces of, of art um, that they're trying to make money on so they can continue to do it. Um, and they can continue to stay liquid and, and stable. Um, you know, I don't really fault them, me personally, for trying to say, listen, we will find wherever you are willing to consume us and, and view our product. If it's live in the theater, we're here for you. If you're not comfortable and you still want to see Wonder Woman on Christmas Day, you can hit it up on, on HBO Max. I don't know how many people. Now, they did something kind of smart, though because you will not be able to watch Wonder Woman if you go with the free trial of HBO right. Max. So if you think yep. you're going to create a burner account with a fake Gmail address and just kind of keep reloading every time a new movie comes out, you're not going to be able to do that, which is smart on their part. Like, just go ahead and pay for it. Like, people create these things for us to enjoy. Like, pay for, pay for stuff. Um, but I look at my situation in my house where I have three kids that are not old enough to be home by themselves uh, for my wife and I to go see, you know, the, the latest Marvel film. So we have to be very strategic when we go out, we don't get babysitters all that often. So I actually saw Endgame on like a Tuesday afternoon at like one o'clock because I needed to make sure I could get it in before actually it was sooner than that. Um, I think I had to take the earliest showing they had um, on a, on a matinee so I could make sure we saw it before we went to pick them up after school. Um, so for me, if I can pay 30 bucks for video on demand, like if black widow was available for 30 bucks, um, that's about what two tickets would be. Um, and I don't have to try to find a babysitter. I can watch it whenever I want. I don't have to worry about what time does it start? What time am I going to be home from work in time to go see it? Um, 
there's there's some of that that's attractive to me. Now, my preference, like yours, is to see it in the theater with and, and have that experience. Yeah, you know, I again, I don't blame them for doing that, especially you know here, Rob. Our options uh, living in New York, like you and I do. Uh, our options to go to the movies are limited because right now the only thing that is open is an AMC theater. And they're, I mean, there's just an article published. They're basically, they're going to go broke by January. They just came out and said, so we don't even know that that's going to be an option for us. Um, and we're coming up on January pretty darn quick. Um, and it doesn't seem like Regal is opening again anytime soon. So, well, I can understand some of these studios being upset about this. Um, there's not a lot of options for us to consume this content otherwise. And, you know, I think there's something to be said, too, for HBO saying, listen, you can't use the free trial to see these movies. Um, so unless you have somebody that's going to let you use their account, essentially, you at least, um, you know, like Wonder Woman coming up here in what today is well rob as you and i are talking right now we're in the 13th um you know wonder woman is coming out in 12 days so essentially you have to pay 14.99 to see wonder woman um if you're going to cancel your hbo max thing to say i don't want to pay for it until suicide squad comes out and then re-up it again for 14.99 so there is still, it's not like they're just basically giving this away for free. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how the splits are going to work. If there's anything, I know when, like how you talked video on demand, um, you know, we had The Invisible Man, Bloodshot, Trolls World Tour. You had Mulan um, and some other movies too. I know that, you know, they were charging uh, for certain ones, they were charging 20 bucks a pop to rent it. Um and watch it inside your home. And there was a split there with the studio. I'm not sure how that works here with this deal with Warner brothers and uh, releasing it on HBO max. And maybe there isn't any financial um, upside to, you know, these directors and anything like that uh, because of the way this is released. Um, I don't know about that. All I can talk about from a fan perspective is you know, these movies are done and, you know, like we said, Black Widow, that's been done for how long now? You know, and obviously that's supposed didn't. to release in March, I think, originally, right? Right. But it's just getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed because they want a theatrical release with realistically the overall view of there's not a theatrical release really in sight, at least not to the magnitude of what we're used to for these types of movies. Um, you know, certainly Rob and I, you talked about it, you know, Tenet said, oh, we're going to release in theaters. It, it's not like Tenet really broke the box office. Um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it, it's not a typical big blockbuster release like that making, I think about 45 million in its opening weekend, which for a Christopher Nolan release is like pennies. It's like, you know, nickel and diming it. Uh, because it doesn't have the theater support that it would have had we not been in a pandemic. So, you know, releasing this in theaters, it, it's not like you're getting this 
put out on six screens and there's 15 showtimes, you know, a day to, to rake in all of this money. Would I love to see these things in theaters? Yes. Um, you know, is Wonder Woman something that I would like to go see in the theater for the sound, the screen? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I want to be able to enjoy content. There's only so much you can do right now. Um, you know, Rob, especially again, like I said, where we live, uh, not a lot of stuff is allowed to be open. You know, a lot of restaurants, you're uh, once again, you're not allowed to go back into restaurants. So you're forced to, if you're going to eat out, going and picking it up or getting it delivered. So there's not a lot of entertainment things to do to leave your home right now. So if I can get entertainment, granted, I'd still like to be able to leave the house and go do something at another location. But in the meantime, for what I would say is the greater good, so to speak, um, yeah, I'm fully you know, appreciative of the fact that they're willing to release this stuff so that we have this opportunity to take in this content because some of this stuff I've really looking been for really been looking forward to. Um, you know, we're gonna get Suicide Squad, we're gonna get Kong vs. Godzilla, which I am thrilled for. We're gonna get the Matrix 4 in this time frame. Uh Dune is another one that's going to be releasing. These are all things that I will I will be in front of my TV watching these things um anticipating them coming out so i like the move i understand why um studios won't but i don't think you're going to see you know certainly in the people that i've talked to i don't think you're going to see any fans that are like i don't say you know going to be boycotting this move because they're trying to stick up for you know these directors or the actors that are a part of these movies. Um, I, I'm going to watch this content. I'm with you. Um, you know, I think what's interesting about Black Widow, there's a couple things that this says to me. I think, first of all, the fact that Disney is pushing so hard to just continue to be patient to when theaters are safe to reopen nationwide to release it suggests to me that this movie is actually really good. Because right. if it's really good, people will pay to see it. It will, you know, um, uh, Endgame made, I think, all of the money um, when mm -hmm. it's released in box offices. Um, it, it suggests to me they think they've got a real hit on their hands. Um, it, and I think what's interesting about Black Widow, it's I think what's important about that, and I think why Disney might be waiting, it is a female-led film. And the comic book films have not really been known for putting a lot of women front and center and or green lighting uh female-led films you think about how long the character of black widow has been in the mcu and how long it took them to finally give her her own movie i mean that was somewhat controversial of a topic for quite a while um i think disney really wants this movie to do well and i think they really want to say listen we we did it we put a female-led film obviously we know we had captain marvel as well but she's not anywhere near the draw that scarlett johansson is and the character of black widow is i think they really want to put it front and center and say female-led films can sell people will pay to see it it can be a box office smash however as this timeline continues to draw out as they continue to, to delay it it does sort of change 
what they're doing with their next phase. Um, suppose that something happens in Black Widow that sets up future parts of the MCU and certain certain things that they're trying to put in place to spin it forward. You think about how I want to say at one point Guardians of the Galaxy three was supposed to be the film that kind of kickstarted you know Phase five, right. and then certainly with with all the problems that that uh, James Gunn had, you know they had to kind of change it, and then it was going to be um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and then. You know, uh, delays to filming um, caused Falcon and the Winter Soldier to be pushed back because we were supposed to get that before we got WandaVision. And now WandaVision is the next one we get. Um, you know, will they be able to continue to be patient and push the timeline back of when they release it um, based on that might cause them to change some things or there might be things spoiled in uh, MCU-based shows that we're going to talk about in a little bit um, because they haven't been able to release the movie yet. Yeah, um, and obviously too, the the one thing that I'm a little surprised at is with Disney's hesitation to release anything. It's not like they didn't have success with Mulan. Um, now I thought maybe thirty bucks was a little bit steep, but again, Rob, like you put it, if you go to the movies with your wife, or if I go with a buddy or something, or, you know, uh, boyfriend girlfriend go, or whatever the case may be. Two tickets is essentially $30 anyway, um, and that's just your tickets. That's, you know, are, are you grabbing a box of snow caps or a thing of popcorn or an icy while you're there? Um, so the $30 charge from Mulan was realistically what you'd be paying to go to the theater anyway. So I, I am a little bit surprised by the hesitation. I think you make a valid point that um, – you know, they feel like they probably have a home run on their hands. And boy, if we get through this this phase here and let's say the theaters do open up where we can have capacity, boy, they're going to be, so to speak, they're going to be the only ship in the ocean, so to speak. Um, if people are releasing things on streaming services and Disney is the holdout, well, what is Black Widow going up against? Um, nothing. So what are you going to go see? Well, let's go see Black Widow and maybe that just absolutely drives those numbers through the roof because, hey, look, everything else has come out. You want something new? You got to come out to the movie and see it. And you're going to pay for it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And if it does, you know, the further that keeps going, does it change anything? Or is Black Widow truly a standalone, so to speak, um, in the MCU in terms of it isn't necessary to start tying to these next phases that they're going to do. Um, but keeping with two the, go ahead. Just, just real quick, two things I hope. A, I hope there's theaters still around to your point that some of these places might be uh, just completely bankrupt before the, we even have the ability to go see anything in them again. But the other part of it too, is you think about how many things like, for example, um, uh, Robert Pattinson's The Batman, um, that's been delayed multiple times. I'm not mm -hmm. even sure they're filming right now. They might be filming right now. They may not be. You, I think you could probably know that more than I, I do. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a couple films sitting on the shelf right now that are still waiting to release. Um, but when you think about how many films have been delayed, how many films will even be available 
to show in theaters because of how many delays there have been. Are theaters going to have to start running like double features of like Jaws and Terminator 2 back to back or something crazy like that? Like I know a lot of the drive-in theaters have been doing, you know, they, they've done like Jurassic Park and King Kong back to back. I saw one yeah. somewhere. Um, is that going to be what they're forced to do? I hope not. You know, I hope that there's still enough stuff out there um, for people to go see. And, and I hope that theaters still continue to exist. Well, you know, I got to tell you, if if they need something to fill theaters and you want to put butts in the seat, uh, right now I'm calling it a double feature, Catwoman and Electra box office history. <laughs> no, no, nothing would top it. Um, two of the absolute greatest comic book movies that we don't even have time to, to get into the greatness on the show. So that'll, that'll have to be a completely separate topic but um that being said sticking with hbo max here um rob i know when this was first announced we had well not even announced but the rumor mill for so long um and i was on board with it more than you when we would talk and you would say i i just i don't think we'll ever see it like i'll believe it when i actually get an announcement is the Snyder cut being released on HBO max in what, you know, we, you said we've used the word unprecedented a lot. Um, so I won't use that, but this really is a, it's something that I've never really seen before, at least since I've become a fan of cinema, I have never to the magnitude of the Snyder cut seen a studio go back after a movie was already released really give Zack Snyder no support when Justice League was torn to shreds um, by fans, by critics, uh, the release, you know, the demand for the release of the Snyder cut and basically what it seemed like it would never happen. And to the degree that they have given Snyder to come back and show his version, his vision of this movie with the financial support, the actor support, it's really quite something to see. And it makes me think that maybe we have something here because basically they have shifted their entire direction of the DCEU where it looks like this justice league movie that came out from Josh Whedon doing the reshoots is going to be erased from history. And they're going to continue on the path that Snyder originally put them out for. Cause there was just an article from Patty Jenkins, an interview where she said, everybody who's done a DCEU film does not consider Justice League a part of this universe. Um, Even the directors seem to have completely dismissed what we got from Justice League originally. And I'm, I'm fascinated by what this movie is going to be. I got to give you 100% credit because back when this was all just like a ha ha, wouldn't it be funny if um, you were completely on board with this as a thing, as an idea that the Snyder cut could actually be a, a real thing. Um, I was, I was 100% against the idea that it would ever happen. I never thought in a million years, because like you had said, we've never seen this. We've never seen a film get released and then a studio functionally retcons it. So, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's really what they're doing. It's, yeah. 
and and those of us that read the comics that these movies are based on, we're kind of used to that. Like in some continuities, Aunt May's dead, others she's alive. Like you know, it's these things happen all the time. You know, characters live and die, and and they just get resurrected all the time. Like we're just so used to it. You know, like it's it, we don't even bat an eye at it. It's like okay, whatever. Um, but but for a major motion picture to do it, and, and not just some small film, like a real major Hollywood film. To basically say, you know that one that we put out in theaters that people went and saw? Not many people went and saw it, by the way. Um, but a few people went out and saw and then everyone else made fun of. We're just going to kind of pretend like it didn't happen. And we're going to give you four one-hour segments of what we're going to say actually did happen. Um, it's crazy. Like, it's it's loony. But when you think about the, the state of the DCEU... Um, it really has revitalized it. I mean, I think obviously everybody universally liked the Wonder Woman film. Um, Aquaman was well liked by most people. Um, it felt, you know, Suicide Squad had its moments. I kind of enjoyed it. It's one of those ones, as long as you don't think about it too much, you're going to have fun with it. Um, you know, Birds of Prey was terrible, but there's, there's things that people sort of liked. Um, and there was, it felt like the DCEU was completely shut down in its tracks. And then this idea of the Snyder Cut started kind of, I don't know, it's almost like snowballing. And as as it continued to grow and as fans continued to demand it, as, as Zack Snyder himself continued to release details or showed us images or gave us ideas, you know, we got <clears throat> Superman in the black costume, like, whoa, what's that about? You know, mm -hmm. we saw a dark side was talked about, like, whoa, what's going on there? Um, it sort of felt like it continued to just gain steam until eventually um, HBO Max said, okay, I, I think at one point the original idea was, okay, we're going to give you like, it was a crazy amount of money, like $65 million, I think, to finish VFX because supposedly, according to him, the movie was done. All it needed was, was you know, a, a little bit of editing and, and finished effects. Um, mm -hmm. But now we're talking about reshoots. We're talking about bringing the principal cast back in years after this film was released and bring after, them back in for reshoots. And after some of these actors said they were done, you know, Ben yeah. Affleck stepped away. He was done. Um, he was, I, you know, I, I can't do this. Um, I, I'm done with this role and he's completely willing to come back. Uh, you have Jared Leto granted um, his Joker wasn't well received, but he's coming back. Uh, it's supposed to be a very, very minor part, but he is back as well. You have Deathstroke that is coming back with a complete new look, if you've seen some of the still shots. And he has a scene that they're filming where the scene that he had in the theatrical recent release of Justice League is being completely redone because that wasn't Snyder's vision. Um, and, you know, you talk about financials, this movie, it did not, for a a movie like this, it did not make basically anything. It made peanuts. It made six hundred and fifty-seven million dollars worldwide. That's disgusting when you think about what some of these other movies have made, where Endgame has made two billion. You know, Infinity War made a billion worldwide. Um, 
you know, and even some of the Marvel movies, the solo movies made more than a Justice League movie. Um, that production budget for this first movie that came out was $300 million. It's one of the most expensive movies ever um, in terms of production budget and marketing and everything included. And then they're like, here's another $70 million to go back and, yeah, go ahead and do what you need to do. We're going to release it promote the heck out of it, be willing to bring back these actors, work out contracts, whatever it may be. And like I said, really look like you have now, again, changed the landscape of where your DCEU universe was possibly going after Justice League was a financial flop at the box office. Um, it's, it's, it's talked about it. just wild. We certainly talked about it during our MCU uh, ranking show, how complicated it is to create a connected universe. Um, and what an amazing job that Marvel Studios was able to do. Um, DCEU was a shambles after this. I mean, nobody mm -hmm. knew like, okay, there was a separate Joker movie and then there was a separate Batman movie that was being made and none of it was going to be connected. And, and everybody was kind of confused and they were still moving forward with Wonder Woman and Aquaman and those films did well. So, okay, we'll probably see sequels to those, but we're never going to really see another team up movie again. Maybe like nobody really knew. And then all of a sudden, the Snyder Cut starts to become a real thing. And all, of, and all of these movies that we thought were gone, these actors that we thought were gone, like Flashpoint is back on now. Like that was supposed to be a thing. They had all of these films planned. There was going to be a Cyborg movie. There was going to be all of these other films. And then that completely went away. And now we're at the point where there's even rumors that Ryan Reynolds is going to appear as Green Lantern. Now, I don't actually think that's happening. I think that was maybe a rumor. I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, right. But it seems like there's juice behind the DCEU now that we thought this thing was kind of dead. Right. Yeah. I, I, I said to you, I think my exact phrase was, you know, and again, you, you said it. I was, I was on board and supporting this um, from day one when I heard it, just because I was like, you know what, for everything that was supposedly going on, um, Obviously, we know if you followed anything about it, you know, unfortunately, uh, Zack Snyder um, lost his daughter um, during the, the shooting of this movie and he stepped away. But, you know, at the time, it was rumored that they had rewritten 80 pages of script for this movie, which roughly equated to like 75 to 80 percent of the movie being reshot. And the more and more I read and the more I went back and because I actually watched Justice League a couple of times, you could it, it was just it was always more and more apparent every time what was left from Snyder and what was completely redone by Joss. Um, it was it was it stuck out like a sore thumb. And I was of the mind of, well, even though I haven't really liked so far overall what Snyder had done with Batman v Superman, um, he had some input on Suicide Squad and obviously Man of Steel, I, I would have at least liked to see his vision seen out um, because I'm interested in that kind of thing. But it does really seem from what we have gotten so far 
it, it does seem like there's some steam behind this movie that there's potential for this to actually be pretty darn good. And if it is, again, I think you're going to see his, his five movie vision actually pan out for what he wanted starting from man of steel um, to Batman V Superman. Then there was justice league one. Then there was supposed to be a two and a man of steel sequel. I think really, if this movie does well, we're going to see that vision fulfilled, which is again, something we've never really seen happen uh, in, in movie history. I hope he changes it up though, because so much of what, he has talked about was going to be the vision is out there. Um, and I, and I don't, I, I certainly, some of it was very bold. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he had said, for example, in uh, Batman V Superman, which is, Oh my God, I can't get over how dumb that title is. Um, <laughs> you know, you see the Batcave and you see a Robin suit kind of hanging up with spray paint on it. Ha ha ha. The joke's on you. Um, everybody assumes that's Jason Todd because in the comics, uh, Joker brutally murders Jason Todd with a crowbar. Um, and he had said, no, that's actually uh, Nightwing. You know, that's Dick Grayson was, was something he had said after the fact. Right. Um, so there's little things like that that are out there. I think at some point he talks about Lois Lane being killed in, in part of his, his um, vision for the, for the films. Um, I hope he, I hope he gets the chance to finish it, but I hope it's changed up enough from what's already been released where we're, we're still surprised. Yeah, Rob, you know, one thing that I want to ask you too about this is, you know, it has been announced that this is going to be for one hour miniseries, so to speak. It's going to be released in four parts, an hour long. What are what are your feelings on that? Would you prefer this just to be released as one four hour cut or do you think maybe this is the way to go considering this is a four hour movie to maybe kind of get, you know, conversation started after, you know, okay, uh, it's whatever March, you know, 15th, here's part one being released of justice league. And maybe it's like Mandalorian where then the following week we get part two, um, geez, okay, this is where part one ended. What, you know, where do we think part two is going and what are we going to see? Um, what do you think about this this decision to release it as a miniseries? Almost like how it was released back in, uh, you know, on TV when it was released into two separate parts. So at one point, and I don't know if they're still planning to do this or not. I believe the story was they were going to release it in four one-hour segments with kind of commentary on the back end of the of the block of of the film that we saw, um, right? Kind of going into what we saw and why. And that part, I don't know if I necessarily wanted. Um, you know, give me that as a DVD extra, I guess. Um, unless it's really really good, in which case, okay, fine, I'll take it. Um, I almost sort of prefer it. First of all, to me, thinking that. We're get there's four hours worth of film to present to me. Um, I I go wow how did there how is there that much you know how much of that is bloat how much of that does it need to exist right um, yeah. I worry about that I I I guess my preference is instead of giving me four one hour segments I would almost rather it be presented as two films almost how Infinity War and Endgame were two films give me two two hour films um, that tell a cohesive story. 
Um, and then give me all the commentary, you know, maybe as like an HBO Max, you know, separate feature or something like that. Um, I guess that's sort of how I would prefer it. But much like we've wow. talked about on our, our recaps of Mandalorian, where we sort of like the fact that they're not um, they're not releasing it all at once the way Netflix and Hulu does. You have to wait a week. There's there's excitement that builds. Um I, I kind of wonder if that's going to work, but h- how much excitement can you build for a film we've already seen and already decided we don't like, like how much different is it going to be? How much better is it going to be where you're going to retain your audience from week one to week four? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that based on what I have read, because I have been, you know, I think pretty involved in making sure I'm reading up on this. Um, he has stated You're that probably now, the number one fan of the sniper. <laughs> probably primarily responsible. If there's one person who's mostly responsible after Zack Snyder, it might be you. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this. I really am. Um, but he has stated Snyder that there is not one piece of footage from Josh Whedon's cut that will show in his movie. Um, and if you think about that, that's two hours of footage right there. So, you know, we know, so the movie's four hours long. So if the theatrical release was two hours long, well, that's two hours of new footage that we haven't seen before and another two hours of footage that we haven't seen before. Now, granted, um, I don't think he has any reason to you know, lie about those numbers. So it truly seems like we are getting, you know, some of the story is obviously the same. There's some new character designs for Steppenwolf and Darkseid actually shows up in this movie. Um, But it looks like we are getting four hours of completely new movie that we have not seen. And does that help change you know, the story arc, does it help change some of the things that seem like, well, how did you get from point A to point B? It seems like you skipped over something there in the theatrical release. So it it seems like this is an entirely new movie from start to finish, which I'm excited about. I I hope eventually, no matter how this turns out, I do want to just see it from start to finish. Um, I'm sure they will, but once all four parts are released, it's just, okay, here's the four-hour cut, you know, take a afternoon off and sit down and just watch it from start to finish. Um, I can't imagine they wouldn't do that, but I'm, I kind of want the four-hour cut just right out of the gate. I'd prefer, like you said, it should be kind of a part one, part two, like Infinity War and Endgame, but I, I'm just excited to get it, so... I'll make do with the the one hour, you know, segments, and we'll we'll see what happens where everything falls with this movie. But you know what we won't have to do is we won't have to sit through seeing Henry Cavill's mustache being digitally removed. That is true. Um, that we is still that one of the. That is such. That was such a funny thing that took over and how much it dominated some of the press release for that. And and then the weird decision, you know, that it's, you know, there was just talk about how bad it looked and it's going to be terrible. 
And you started the movie with it. And I don't know if they were like, well, let's just get it out of the way so people see it. But it was just like, what? Like, I could not have imagined how bad it looked. And they they start the movie off with that scene just front and center. And it's like, I think you knew right from that moment, well, this looks like it's about to be a disaster. Um and for all intents purposes, purposes, Justice League was a disaster um, from start to finish for me. What's weird to me, there's two things um, that, I'll, that I'll mention that are so strange to me about this. A, how does a studio take what's mostly a finished product, which might only need a few reshoots here and there, and say, nah, we're going to go ahead and reshoot most of this. Like, they've already spent the money to create Mm -hmm. what was already agreed upon. And then they're going to bring in another director. Obviously there's a terrible tragedy in Zack Snyder's family's life. So they're going to bring another director to finish it. And then they're just going to let them kind of reshoot the whole thing they've already done. That was strange to me. Um, But the other thing that's really strange to me is Joss Whedon. He, he was the director for the Avengers which we both really liked a lot. Like I want to say I had that in my top 10 when we did our ranking show. Um, We really enjoyed that. And so he showed he can do a team up movie. He can make a great superhero team up movie. And somehow this one just fell flat and, and, and failed badly. I mean, it's not like Batman and Robin bad, but in terms of comic book movies that are terrible, um, it's like Catwoman, Batman and Robin, Elektra, like you had mentioned earlier, that's a great double feature. Um, and, and this is in there somewhere. Yeah. You know, I think too, one of the things that I, you know, I went back and, and thought of, and just from my point of view, yes, Avengers worked very well. But I think those characters more so work with Joss's style and his his writing sense than the Justice League characters. Because to me, when you watch Justice League, it seemed like he almost thought like, okay, well, I did it with Avengers. Let's do it for Justice League. And to me, you know, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman – Aquaman, you know, all these characters, they don't have the same dynamic as, as the Avengers. Um, They're not supposed to me. They're not supposed to be lighthearted sometimes and fun, you know, Superman, obviously, but I think maybe almost he was the wrong choice to bring in because of how these characters when they're in a group dynamic are portrayed, at least from my point of view, um, you know, I didn't think any of the humor in this movie, especially with flash because he, he, to me tries to provide it. I didn't think any of that stuff worked. And to me, it was just, it was very Avengers like where I understood why the humor worked with those characters, because that's what had been developed in that universe. Um, It seemed very cut and paste to me and it didn't mesh with what had already, whether you liked it or not, it didn't mesh with what had been created for these characters in this world. We also had in Avengers, 
these characters had mostly, with the exception of, of Hawkeye and Black Widow, we'd already been introduced to them. They already had their solo films. We already knew who they were. We had a chance to have an understanding of their origin. We had a chance to understand a little bit of, of who they are. Um, we didn't get that with Justice League. And that was, I, I always questioned whether or not that was the right move is to go right into the team up film right out, almost right out of the gate. Um, right. Certainly, I think a lot of what didn't work in Batman v Superman was they tried to do way too much. They were trying to introduce too many new versions of characters we've seen before without giving each one its own film to sort of breathe a bit and, and let the audience have an idea of who they are, why they feel the way they feel um, and what their values are, you know, who, what they stand for. Robert, are you saying that a 13-second JPEG was not enough of an introduction to characters like Aquaman and the Flash and Cyborg? Um, does, <laughs> does that pale in comparison to getting a, a two-hour movie or 45 minutes of screen time for, like, Black Widow and Iron Man 2? Um, I, I, I believe that's what you're saying there, that 13 seconds isn't enough to introduce a character to then say... Well, they're part of a feature-length film. Care about them. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I just okay. I you know I sometimes I'm I'm hard of hearing. I wanted to make sure I heard that correctly. Um, yeah, obviously just, just I'm having Bruce, having Bruce Wayne show up at the end of uh, Suicide Squad so that we can introduce Jason Momoa as Aquaman and and um, Ezra Miller as Flash. Like, it's it's not enough. Um, it yeah. didn't work. It kind of failed and. Um, you know, the, the actual Snyder cut itself is not going to be able to fix that, but I still want to see what they do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that kind of buttons up the, the HBO portion of this, but there's still a lot to talk about with what Disney had announced in terms of, you know, again, and you could just get into the, Marvel and Star Wars part, there was so much announced from Disney that it's unbelievable. But with Marvel, before we get into all of these shows, I would like to take a a second here to talk about, because Rob, you have some pretty strong opinions on this, I think, from what we've talked about. There, and a lot of them have been confirmed, but there are some wild rumors still about what is happening with Spider-Man 3. And it's it's a lot, almost to the point where it's it's on the brink of being. This is going to be amazing, or there is way too much going on for this to be good. Yeah. So if you if you go back and listen to our MCU ranking show, I think we spend quite a bit of time just talking about how even a film that you and I would have ranked as our 18th favorite out of 22 is still a movie we would rewatch anytime it was on. I mean, there's really only a few out of the, out of the films that have been released so far that I wouldn't rewatch or that I would like turn off. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, if I was walking through a room and somebody had it on, I wouldn't sit down and watch for me. It's really only like the dark world, uh, Hulk's not great, and, and Age of Ultron's not great. Outside of that, most of them I would rewatch, or at least parts of it I would rewatch. Um, it, so I we we spend a lot of time giving them total credit and just hey, here's a blank check from us as a fan. Do with it what you will. But 
I'm apprehensive about Spider-Man 3 and all of the rumors that are coming out where they're trying to bring in Andrew Garfield. They're trying to bring in Tobey Maguire. They're trying to bring in Kirsten Dunst. Um, they're already uh, bringing Emma, Emma Stone Tom now, Garfield. too. Oh, I hadn't heard that one yet. Holy cow. Okay, so they're bringing all of these characters in, and and we don't know if it's a cameo. We don't know if it's like a brief moment. We don't know if they're major you know, parts of the film and, or, or, you know, comprise a good bit of what we see. Certainly uh, the animated into the spider verse was very well regarded. I think it was a blast. It's a ton of fun. Um, I think for me, it kind of is a little bit slow at times, but I, I enjoy it. I think it's really cool what they did with it. Um, there's Spider-Man's rogues gallery is the best Marvel has, you know, and that's, that's really one of the biggest problems that, the MCU has that you and I have both critiqued is that the, the villain tends to just be kind of a carbon copy of the hero in too many cases. The greatest villains in all of comics are always going to be Batman's. He's got the best rogues gallery of anybody and it's not even close. Mm -hmm. Second place is so it, it, you can kind of, you can make the argument for Spider-Man. You can make the argument for the X-Men in terms of the, who has the best villains and for Spider-Man three to spend a lot of their time kind of, going into pulling all of these other versions of the character or other versions of these characters and bringing them in and trying to do something with it. Um, I have concerns that it's going to be trying to do too much. I have concerns that it's not going to work. Um, I'm worried that it won't. I, while saying that the crew that puts these together, that lays out the vision, has done such a phenomenal job and has done things we've never seen in the history of entertainment, not just film, in the history of entertainment, they've accomplished things that have never been done before. So if anybody can do it, it's, it's Kevin Feige and, and his team. Um, and, and I'm still going to be there, you know, as close to opening night as I can be, assuming that theaters are still open uh, or able yeah. to open. Um, I'm going to be there to see it. Um, but I, I'm not sure. What are, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting because, you know, Currently, every rumor that has been talked about for Spider-Man 3 has, you know, started to come true. Um, first, you know, it was talked about that maybe Doctor Strange was going to show up. That is confirmed. Then there was, you know, out of nowhere, like, oh, uh, Jamie Foxx is going to be in it. And boom, all of a sudden, Jamie Foxx is confirmed. Um then Alfred, um, I can't pronounce his last Alfred name, Molina. Molina. Um, yeah. You know, oh, hey, uh, it's rumored that he's coming back. A week later, boom, it's confirmed. He's in the mix. Um, certainly Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire have been talked about um, for actually quite a bit of time being in this movie. Um, but from everything I've heard, um, Andrew Garfield is locked up. Um, it's Tobey Maguire that they're still trying to work things out for because I've also heard that they are trying to give Tobey Maguire a Logan-like send-off um, for his Spider-Man, which leads me to think if they're doing that, he's either going to be in a good portion of this movie or he's somehow going to be in another movie. And what I hope doesn't happen is... I think Tom Holland is the best version of both Peter Parker and Spider-Man that we have seen on screen 
between these three character, these three actors who have played the Spider-Man character. I know a lot of fans have not been overly excited about some of the things they've done with Spider-Man, where he felt like an Iron Man sidekick, and he's not really the true focus. And I hope that he gets the respect that I feel he deserves as what he's been able to do with this character. And he's not overshadowed in his own movie because really when you look at it, we haven't really gotten a Spider-Man movie that is Spider-Man from Marvel in the sense that, you know, the first one was heavily influenced by him trying to impress Iron Man, him taking the suit away. Um, even his second movie, even though Mysterio is one of his rogue galleries, he was influenced by Tony Stark. It wasn't really a, dr a direct connection to Spider-Man. Um, so I hope we start to move away from the, that fact where he does start to have more personal reasons um, with the villains that are in his movies, because even the two villains that are confirmed in this movie, they have no tie to his Spider-Man. Um, if they're supposed to be the same characters from the Andrew Garfield ver versions and the Tobey Maguire versions, there's no connection to Tom Holland's Spider-Man from these two villains. So once again, we get a Spider-Man movie that is, not this Spider-Man that we have seen. And what's interesting is there's also, don't forget, the second Venom movie is somehow connecting to our Spider-Man because we've seen the preview trailer with Michael Keaton showing up, uh, reprising his role as uh, the Vulture. Um, oh, yeah. So for, uh, that's all connected, yeah. too. Yeah, so that's, um... that's out there. And, too, now there's the new rumor, too, and... Um... It looks like this is almost confirmed as well that this is that we're going to get Daredevil in Spider-Man 3 as well. And it's Charlie Cox. Um, he's basically one of the only people that has been saved specifically because of Kevin Feige um, to transfer from the Netflix shows to the Marvel Universe. Uh, there's some real traction going right now that he is in Spider-Man 3, and he's the only one who's going to be pulled over and kept from those TV shows. Which would be a shame because I'm a big fan of John Bernthal. Um, yes. It would be a shame if, if, if Charlie Cox was the only one that they, they brought over. Um, it it feels like, holy cow, they're trying to do a lot with this third Spider-Man movie and and not letting that character really be himself. I, I think you've set it up beautifully, just the fact that it, it both of the standalone Spider-Man movies were so heavily influenced by Iron Man, where, you know, I'd said it in our, our, our um, ranking show that the MCU was such a massive uh, a massive undertaking that the second Spider-Man movie is a feature length blockbuster that, that serves as, as an epilogue for the infinity saga. Like you, it takes a whole movie that's a blockbuster to be the epilogue of this, of this saga. Um, and to not give Marvel's maybe most important character, because for the longest time, Marvel didn't own the film rights to that character and they didn't own the film rights to the X-Men and they kind of tried to kill the X-Men as an important 
um, entity in their comics universe. You know, they killed off Wolverine. They they really didn't make the X Men important. They tried to inter. They they really tried to downplay it. In fact, because they didn't own the rights, any new characters that came out, they brought in in the Avengers lines, or they brought in. They tried to make the Inhumans for a little bit be a thing, yeah. and nobody cares about the Inhumans. So they would try to introduce new characters and make them Inhuman and. Really, the Inhumans are just mutants that they still own the film rights to. Like, there's really not a whole lot of difference in terms of how that all works. Um, they essentially and it just didn't work. Yeah, they essentially for that time period, they pretty much cut uh, any new X Men print. Um, they didn't want anything from. They didn't want really any new stories coming out from Marvel because they couldn't incorporate it into movies. They weren't going to have, um, you know, rights to them because. They just, you know, they didn't have the contract. And, yeah, you're right. They they essentially, for a while there, kind of acted like the X-Men almost didn't exist. Um, but they didn't do that to Spider-Man. Right. They didn't try to downplay Spider-Man. They know that that's still too important of a character to the history of their company and to the medium that is comics. Um, so I worry that... They're trying to do too much. I worry that we're really not going to get uh, this character standing on his own. I, I want to see Tom Holland embracing the mantle of Spider-Man on his own, in his own film, dealing with that. Because we're, we're to believe that the future of, of the MCU was going to rest on Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, and Black Panther. And certainly we're going to talk about Black Panther fairly soon. Um but those were the characters that, based on what happens in, in Endgame, that we were to believe were going to be the backbone of what the next phase of the MCU would be. Yeah, it's it's certainly interesting what we're going to get. Um, but keeping in line with Marvel, um, boy, for a time that felt like we were getting nothing new and no announcements to all the announcements um disney had their investor call and we can talk about these but rob um i, I know you know them but for the listeners and everything here's what's coming we have wandavision the falcon and the winter soldier loki what if miss marvel hawkeye she hulk moon knight Secret Invasion, Ironheart, Armor Wars, a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, and an I Am Groot series, and that's not to mention the fact that we know they're doing something with Blade. We also got an announcement um, that was just the symbol. They're doing a Fantastic Four movie, which we knew about, but it's, you know, they showed the fact that yeah this is this is coming we're committed to fantastic four um that is a lot um it's almost like we said we we kind of said we have to almost do a, a breakdown show just on these announcements because there's there's too much there's almost too much to consider you know we th thinking back to some of our mandalorian recaps um if it's not, if not for the Mandalorian, if you are not somebody who is really into the Disney fantasy films, 
you know, and, and their storytelling. And look, they're all great movies. They're primarily targeted for kids, but they're great films for everybody. But if that's not really your thing, um, if you don't have kids in your household, what's the reason that you sign up for Disney Plus other than The Mandalorian? Well, really not much. And yeah. then they just drop this on us. Like, holy cow. Um, it's, it's made it so that if you're a fan of sci-fi, if you're a fan of comics, if you're not even necessarily, even if you don't read the comics, but you just like the movies, which that's fine too. Um, you have to be a subscriber to Disney+. Plus. You have no choice. You must subscribe to Disney Plus because they're going to tie all of these shows into the future of the films. Um, so to kind of really know what's going on, you need to have, you need to have seen the shows. Um, and it starts with WandaVision. Yeah, it, it, it certainly starts with WandaVision. And Rob, you and I were talking about this where, and you just made light of it, you in order to know what's going to be going on with this next slate of movies, you need to watch these shows because these shows are going to tie into what's going on. You know, WandaVision ties into Dr. Strange and the multitude of, uh, of madness, um, which also probably looks like WandaVision would somehow maybe tie into maybe why some of the events in Spider-Man three are happening. Um, if we're to, you know, see all these characters from the different universes coming in here. Uh, it looks like Loki might have some some play in that. Obviously, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to have some connection to, you know, maybe how some of the team gets back together or who would be maybe leading the team uh, if there is need for, you know, the Avengers to be together again. Uh, you know, how does Miss Marvel... Uh, incorporate into some of these upcoming movies certainly Hawkeye you know he's established but what is going to become of the fact of you know Kate Bishop being trained and being a focal uh, a focal part of maybe some of the upcoming slate you have She-Hulk you have Moon Knight Secret Invasion is a really interesting one because you get Nick Fury back and you get Talos um what is how far are they actually going with secret invasion because that's a huge arc in the comic books and how far are they going to go certainly with all the rights that they own they can pretty much go as far as they want to but what you know what will they do with secret invasion and how far does it lead and if you've watched any of these trailers, Rob, I know I've watched the ones that have been released. These are not low, you know, low production, low budget TV shows that they're doing. Th these look like full fledged movies coming off of Disney plus um, the Loki trailer alone. It, it looks like it was a movie trailer. It, it does not look like you're watching a, you know, whatever it's going to be, eight episode show. It, it looks like they just showed you the trailer for a movie coming out. So when we did our second part of the MCU rankings, you know, one of the things we ended the show with was um, the future of the MCU. And one of the things that we talked about was what projects were we most excited about? And at the time, I didn't really mention WandaVision as something that I was really looking forward to compared to some of the other projects that have been announced. 
But I got to tell you, based on the trailers I've seen, this thing looks like it's going to be funny. It looks like it's going to be scary. It looks like it's going to be very trippy at times, all at once. And I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, there's rumors that qu- they're going to use it to bring Quicksilver back somehow, um, maybe just on the show, maybe actually into continuity. Um, there's certainly rumors that there's a lot of different things they can adapt. It, it feels as though Wanda is kind of losing her mind over the loss of vision and that she creates this pocket reality that they live in. And it looks like it's going to be kind of an homage to different eras of television, which we saw in the most recent trailer that came out. Um, It feels like this thing is going to be full of Easter eggs. It feels like it's going to be full of kind of winks and and acknowledgements to the history of television. But there are many, many plots throughout comics with Wanda that they could use. Um, You know, certainly house of M is out there. If this was the way, there's kind of, there's been multiple ways that since Marvel reacquired the film rights to the X-Men, that's kind of the the million dollar question is when do we get the X-Men? What does it look like? How do we do it? And it sounds like everything we've heard from a rumor standpoint is that we would not necessarily get a standalone X-Men movie first the way that we did when Fox had the property and we just started with X-Men way back in, in the late 90s, I think. Um, We would maybe see them appear in other films. Certainly the rumor is out there that Storm was set to make an appearance in Black Panther 2. Um, We know that she has a history with T'Challa in the comics. They were married at one point. Um, So would we maybe see her there? Um, But there's also been plenty of, of rumors or at least suggestions and fan theories that with the reality-bending powers that that Scarlet Witch has, and certainly we know that Doctor Strange has the ability, in fact, it's called the Multiverse of Madness, um, is that how they bring mutants into the MCU? Um, To me, it might feel a little cheap just to be like, ah, it's an alternate reality. All right, come on over, guys. Here we go. Everybody wants to see it. Come on in. Okay, this guy's Wolverine now, and go. Um, That might feel a little cheap, but this is one way they could do it. Well, you know, you mentioned Quicksilver, and I actually read reports that Quicksilver was on set for WandaVision. However, it was not Aaron Taylor Johnson that was on set for WandaVision. It's Evan Peters. And Evan Peters plays Quicksilver in the Fox X-Men universe. Which is really interesting because I also heard that that would also be almost like a catalyst again for pushing Wanda over the edge because she brings back what she thinks is her brother only for it to be a totally different person that has the same powers as what her brother had. So it drives her even more insane that she brings this guy over um, and she can't bring, she can't bring back her brother. So I have heard that he was actually spotted on the set um, of WandaVision. That would be really interesting to me if he shows up in that show. Um, Listen, as, as nutty as this trailer looked as much of a sort of mind screw as it appears to be at times, 
if it really gets into the complexity of her kind of going mad a little bit, um, I think this could be a really compelling show. Yeah, uh, it, it certainly has all the makings. The, the two trailers that I have seen for this have really captivated my interest. Um, but Rob, out of everything that was that was announced, and so what you've seen, and granted there's some things that we don't have a lot of information on, has your thought, is there anything that you are, what is, what's the most particular show that you are looking forward to right now based on all the information that we have? So of the Disney Plus shows that have been announced, um, I'm definitely ranking WandaVision higher than I previously did. Um, Loki has definitely caught my eye. I've, I love Tom Hiddleston as Loki. I think he's such a, um, a compelling, interesting villain um, and, and skirts that line between, you know, he goes back and forth between he's on the good guy side and then he's, he's the villain. Um, but I think Secret Invasion, um, because I, I really like Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. I love Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill. I think the two of them together, they don't have a ton of on-screen time together um, across the MCU, um, but we certainly saw it towards towards kind of the last few films that we've seen. Um, I think the two of them together are great, and I would love to see what happens with S.H.I.E.L.D. after, you know, the after we, the events of Captain Marvel, um, I would love to see how Nick Fury gets to the point where he gets to when we, we see him again, certainly in Avengers and, and beyond there. Um, I think that's probably the one I'm most interested in uh, out of all of that um, with, with WandaVision and Loki, not far behind, but to try to not be excited about Falcon and winter soldier. Wow. That looks like that's picking up right off the queue of, of Captain America too. just a really cool spy thriller that doesn't focus on the fact that these are super powered individuals um, and just tells a really interesting spy story. Yeah. It's, it's funny because we talked about it with our MCU review show that we did Think about, you know, you almost when you were like, boy, it's hard not to get excited for the Falcon, the Winter Soldier. Like we're all we're like looking for reasons to be like, well, I don't want to sound like I'm not excited about this. That just shows like, boy, man, it seems like once again, we're in just for a slate of great content. Um, But I have to say that still uh, until I see something that really kind of gives me pause without seeing anything about it. I still have to say that Moon Knight for me is my most anticipated thing that I want to see from Disney plus. Um, Moon Knight is in my top five for comic book characters that I am just over the top passionate about. I think he's super underrated. Anytime I talk to friends, I suggest that they pick up some Moon Knight issues and start really getting into his character. So I just cannot wait to get more information about Moon Knight. That will be for me just – that would be one of the ones where I would say, like, if I have to work – I'm taking the day off. Like when I find out when that's releasing, I want the day off because I want to see it day one. First thing when I wake up in the morning, because I've always been intrigued by him. I think he's severely underrated in the grand scheme of these Marvel characters. But uh, again, I mean, how can you not be excited about Loki WandaVision? 
like you said, it, it Falcon and the Winter Soldier looks like a continuation of what we were kind of seeing in the Winter Soldier. And, you know, even She-Hulk, that is an interesting concept because lo and behold, Mark Ruffalo is going to be a part of that. How big? We're not sure. But also, lo and behold, here comes Abomination back into the fold. So that's an interesting show that's bringing characters back. Um, even though it's an animated thing, the Marvel What If series, how can you not be excited about seeing Marvel zombies? I love that run. It was ridiculous, but it was a fun little sidebar. How, how can you not be excited about seeing Marvel zombies on, you know, on the small screen, so to speak, and some of these other scenarios that they're coming up with. There, there's just so much to be excited for on the, the Marvel aspect of these shows. And, and one small thing, too, I am really excited in WandaVision for Kat Dennings to be back. Uh, I liked her in the Thor movies. I thought she played her role very well. So I'm excited to see how she's going to play into WandaVision because I I liked her in the roles that she had in the Thor movies. Yeah. Um, like I said, WandaVision, um, I kind of slept on that one a little bit. You know, I, I don't think I was as excited for it as, as I should have been um, compared to some of this other stuff that we just talked about. Um, the What If series, I believe... Um, and Matt, correct me if you think if if you know differently than I do. I believe it's Chadwick Boseman's final performance as T'Challa. I believe he's done some voice work already. Am I right? Yes. Do you know differently? Yeah, that is that is accurate. Um, that could a... be. Oh, go ahead. No, I. That's just it's it's very interesting. Um, you know, even just stopping to think about it now. Um, you know, you, you always hear this when it happens, but, you know, that is a guy who, you know, unfortunately he left way too soon in, in terms of how long he was alive and just, you know, hearing the things that he did and, you know, following up and watching some of the videos, um, you know, Rob, it was, it, it was known. And when we were doing the MC reviews that I did, you know, not like Black Panther as much as what you know, the majority of fans did, but to watch his contribution and what that movie meant to, to that community and watching these videos of people going to see black Panther and him surprising fans and just the admiration that they had for him and what he did in terms of really just, making that movie and being such a huge part of it and wanting to represent that culture, you, you can't underestimate the significance of that. And you didn't even know that guy was sick. Like he, you know, he was filming those movies when he was dealing with this life threatening illness and you had no clue. Um, so he was doing fight scenes with no shirt on and chemotherapy at the same time. Yeah, it, it's just you know, I it's sad that he's gone. Um I'm sure that it'll be 
it'll probably be emotional to hear his voice as Black Panther for fans of these movies and, you know, um, fans of him as a human being because he really did seem like a great, great guy um, that did a, that meant a lot to a lot of people. So um, it'll be nice that they'll have this last performance to really, um, you know, to remember him by. So this animated what if series, just real quick, the last point I'll make on that, this could be low key, the most interesting of all of them, because they can do things with this that they won't do on other ones. They can kill characters in this because it's not continuity. It's, right. It's a different universe. You know, they can, they can do part of the reason I like the original old man Logan series in the comics so much is that it was its own thing. So the stakes were real. They could kill somebody and it would actually, they would actually stay dead. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can do some things with this that um, they can tell some just unique, crazy stories that I'm really looking forward to um, getting back to Chadwick Boseman. The announcement has been made that they will not be recasting him as T'Challa. Um, certainly Correct. when, when he passed everybody's immediate thoughts were how terrible, you know, the, you know, feeling uh, sympathy for his family, for his friends, uh, for the people that were close to him. Everybody, you know, felt that universally. And then once you acknowledge that, that human aspect of it, the immediate next thought is his character in the MCU, because it felt like they were going to build around him. Certainly he had the on-screen presence. He had the charisma to carry a scene, to carry a character, to carry a film, um, and maybe to carry a franchise. Um, you know, the whole series. Um, And I was fascinated to see what they would do next with him. I wanted to see his next movie. Um, I wanted to see him again as Black Panther. I liked it a lot more than you did, um, but I wanted to see more of what he was going to do with T'Challa. And they have said that they will not recast him, which I respect that decision. Um, It's not an easy decision to make. Um, If it were me, I think T'Challa is too important in the comics um, I probably would have respectfully found another actor to replace him, much in the same way they did um, with Mark Ruffalo taking over as, mm-hmm. as Bruce Banner and the Hulk, um, mm-hmm. with Don Cheadle taking over as War Machine, although both of those under different circumstances, obviously. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it's very different circumstances. Um, but I, I think keeping the character of T'Challa around, um, he's too important um, for them to not keep. So, but they've said that they're not going to, and that Black Panther 2 will focus on other elements of Wakanda, but they're still going to call it Black Panther 2. So it makes me wonder, will they find a way using unused footage like they did with Carrie Fisher? Um, will they find a way to have him in the film and find a way to kill off T'Challa as a character and somebody else assumes the mantle of the Panther in the second film? Is it Shuri? Is it somebody else um is it one of those other characters uh, that we are introduced to is it somebody we haven't met yet is it a long lost relative that they just dug up um for the purposes of the film um i don't know um matt what, what do you think is going to happen uh i think that i because i've also heard that they're not going to use any digital footage of him um, so it'll be interesting to see how they explain why he is no longer in this universe as a character. I, I still think there's some merit to, um, obviously there's been the immediate talk of 
people are saying, well, uh, Suri is just going to assume the mantle of Black Panther. I still think there's some real merit to even more so now that Storm could be introduced in this manner um, because she has a tie. And granted, you know, obviously that original connection is no longer going to be there, but maybe that's what brings her out. Maybe the death of T'Challa brings her to Wakanda because of maybe they've had an off-screen history in this universe. Uh, I still think there is a real chance that this movie could introduce Storm and that maybe this unfortunate situation might make it even more relevant for her to come into this universe. There's still a lot to see. Yeah. Um, there a, a lot by all of those shows that we listed. There is just, again, I, I mean, we thought, boy, we've kind of got a lull here. Like, boy, what will they do? But Rob, you and I said at the end of the MCU review, before we move on to the next Disney announcements, you know, what do they do? to top 20 well 22 because spider-man's like you said the epilogue really but what do they do to top 22 films and do something end game level and obviously we haven't seen anything but seeing what they're doing and what they're putting together boy they certainly have my attention with boy they they could do it like and then it's going to be funny because we could we're going to be sitting there if this all works going well how in the heck do they top that like i can't believe they did it now how in the heck do they go from here um but it's not like they don't have just hundreds of years well not hundreds of but it's not like they don't have hundreds of stories at their disposal to continue to grow this brand so i don't think they're running out of ideas anytime soon but I definitely did not expect the level that we got in terms of where they're going for these next phases when we were done with what they call the Infinity, uh, the Infinity War saga. I don't think that the future of the MCU is anything on the scale of the Infinity Saga. I think you will see the films are connected. I think they will be connected in smaller ways. I don't think necessarily it will build towards one big bad the way that we got with Thanos. Um, you know, the films that are already announced, you know, we already knew about Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4, Black Panther 2, um, Blade, Guardians 3, Captain Marvel 2. With those that had already been announced um, before some of these other announcements that we got to, and, um, you know, the live action Spider-Verse, uh, you know, you and I share some conflictions about is that going to be any good or not? All of these Disney Plus shows that are going to build to this world. <laughs> and we didn't even talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Like, what oh, is that yeah. going to be? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. Paul Rudd, just give me more of him. Uh, give me more of him and the Wasp together. Um, Michael Douglas in there. Um Evangeline Lilly, just give me all of them together. I, I want that, um, you know, um, I, I just, I want all of the side characters uh, on their day one. Um, I'm not sure, you know, there's, there's been, there's been rumors that it's Kang the Conqueror coming in. I think they'll be connected in smaller ways. I don't know that 
it's going to be possible to pull off what they did by when you get to Endgame. And that's fine. It doesn't have to be that. You can just give us consistently high-quality content, film after film, show after show, um, and, and we're still going to really enjoy it. Yeah, I think the only way that they really get there, and who knows, because this is obviously content for you know, two, three, four years in the making. This is not something that's just happening overnight. Um, but I do think there are seeds planted to maybe an epic crossover in terms of they have, you know, Secret Invasion. We're getting the X-Men. Uh, you know, let's not forget there's an X-Men versus Avengers storyline. And I think eventually we could lead to something like that, which would be a pretty huge crossover. Granted, it's probably not going to be an entire movie of those two teams just trading blows with each other. Um, Cause obviously I think they would be coming together after for the greater good to stop somebody. But I think really that would be something that could top what we saw in Endgame. but I believe it's going to be a very long time before we would get somewhere um, with those two teams crossing paths like that. So we just had talked about how Marvel did it the right way. They built slowly. It was not until the end of phase one. No, it was, it was like into phase two when we finally got Avengers as opposed to DC, which is just like, all right, we've made one movie. We hadn't necessarily planned on that being the jumping off point for a connected universe, but it is now. And here's the team up movie with characters you've never met before this. Mm-hmm. It just, it didn't, it kind of fell flat on its face. Um, I, I feel like Marvel will probably take their time to introduce the X-Men and and give it time, let that conflict build um, before we would see something like that. Um, it, I think, look, we've already seen Civil War 1. Would they want to do Civil War 2? Would they want to touch Secret Empire? Um, mm-hmm. It would be a lot harder to do Secret Empire now, but um, there's a lot of recent stuff they can mine um, to create the future. And, and I think certainly what, what people pay to see, what characters resonate. Um, we didn't even touch on the fact that there's going to be a third Deadpool movie. Um, you know, I yeah. think there's still a lot to be determined. Um, I do think the X-Men somehow feature heavily into the future of the MCU, because how could they not? Um, those characters are too profitable. They're they're too fascinating and they have too much of a history with the kind of people who go and buy movie tickets. Um, there's too much merchandising out there for the X-Men for them not to cash in with a, with a full length feature film. Um, they're too valuable to, to Marvel. They're too valuable to Disney um, to keep them on, on the shelf for too long. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of Disney plus the last bit, that we'll get into here. And again, this is a, a another huge announcement is the Lucasfilm aspect of Disney's announcement, which also had a plethora of talking points. Rob, again, like let's uh, just listen to this list. You have Ahsoka, you have Rangers of the New Republic, you have Andor, you have Obi-Wan Kenobi, you have the Bad Batch, Star Wars Visions, Lando, the Acolyte, and a droid story. Um, I mean, holy cow. For a time period when it looked like 
boy, they're probably going to back off Star Wars because of some of the backlash to the sequel trilogy. Out of nowhere, they're right back in the fold with, no, we've we've got Star Wars content for you. It's it's unbelievable. As these announcements were coming out, um, I, it's just, wow. There's, there's plans in place. Clearly, Disney is prepared for Star Wars to feature heavily in the future of their entertainment properties. Um, they're giving us multiple series. And on top of that, there's been announcements that the next Star Wars film is going to be called Rogue Squadron. We're going to get it in December of 2023 with Patty Jenkins directing. Um, I'm fascinated by this. Um, there's, uh, I mean, there's none of this that I'm going to say, eh, I'm not interested in that. So many of these, I don't have enough details on to really know, like, what's that going to be about? But certainly Lando getting his own opportunity to tell his stories. Um, that's going to be really cool. Um, Rangers of the New Republican and Ahsoka, those series are going to be set during the same time period that we're covering with The Mandalorian. Um, and the Obi-Wan series, it's been rumored, and it's certainly been, I think it was confirmed previously that Ewan McGregor was attached to it, but also that Hayden Christensen was going to be coming back um, and would be featured on the show as well. Um, I think that gives them lots of opportunities to show him both as Anakin and as Darth Vader. Um, but I don't, obviously it wouldn't be his voice. It couldn't be his voice as Darth Vader. I, I mean, I don't know that they're necessarily going to get James Earl Jones in here, but, or even somebody to replicate his voice. Um, but for him to be there, to me, it's going to be in flashback. Um, is that kind of how you see it, Matt? Well, you know, this is, I have to tell you, I, for, we talked about the, the Marvel shows, this Obi-Wan show now is, is number one for me. And it's really surprising because I can't stand the prequel trilogy. Um, I think it's overall just really bad, but something about hearing Hayden Christensen coming back to the fold is, is almost like a feel good comeback story for me. Um, he was really kind of bitter towards star Wars. Um, a lot of that had to do with fans because they weren't necessarily the greatest to him in his portrayal of Anakin. Um, but after a while, he kind of came back around and did some conventions and did interviews. Um, but this to me is like a really good, it's a feel good story that this guy can come back and probably go out on a better note. And I think we're going to get some flashbacks, which I, I'm hoping will maybe fill in some of the gaps of some of the things that him and Obi-Wan did together. I would really like that. Um, but also it's been confirmed. We're, we're going to get to see him in the suit again. I mean, he's going to be Darth Vader. Now, granted he was named Darth Vader before he was in the suit at the end of revenge of the Sith, but we're going to see him in full Vader glory. And not only that, we are going to get what they're dubbing as the rematch of the century. 
we are going to see Obi-Wan and Darth Vader go face to face again. What does that mean? How intense does that get? What emotional, you know, and that was one of the things that I, I talked about in some of my reviews of the Star Wars prequel trilogy was you didn't get to connect the emotion between those two characters. Certainly with the Clone Wars and everything that has helped, but what is that going to mean to Obi-Wan to see him, you know, to see Vader again? I think there's some really great opportunities for this show to not just be an action set, but I think there's some real chance here for this to be a really emotionally gripping show with these two characters coming back into each other's lives. You know, of all the things that we've talked about, um, all of these shows that are coming to Disney plus, um, I think this is the one I'm most excited about uh, for all the reasons you just mentioned. Um, maybe it's going to be the mission of Disney plus to fix all of the things people complain <laughs> about star Wars. Like we we've talked at length on, on other episodes of your show about the Mandalorian and how they're kind of fixing this or bringing that back or sort of correcting this, you know, just the fact that Boba Fett's still alive is obviously a big fix to, to things people gripe about with the original trilogy. Um, maybe that's, maybe that's what Disney is doing is they're just kind of taking the little bits here and there that were terrible that people complain about. And by the time they're done with all the Disney plus shows, maybe we might even end up liking Jar Jar Binks. Like that could possibly be a thing. Yeah. I mean, that's anything is possible. Um, I still think they, Again, they're doing a what-if show for Marvel. Give me a what-if show. Jar Jar Banks is secretly a Sith between episodes one and three. <laughs> Give me that. Um, that's awesome. I will take that. I will watch it. Um, so for any reason, if anybody has a connection to somebody who could get that idea out there, just send that out there. Um, do me a favor and get me this show. Somebody, please. Um <laughs> Because maybe that would redeem Jar Jar. <laughs> um, because certainly I've read some of those fan theories and those write-ups. And kudos to the people who have done those. Because it makes it incredibly interesting um, with Jar Jar being a, a secretly a Sith theory. But yeah, Obi-Wan is by far, for these shows... Um, even with how much I love The Mandalorian and knowing that there's going to be a season three... Right now, nothing can touch this show um, for me. It is absolutely what I am looking forward to. And Rob, we we joked about it. We have a mutual friend on uh, social media who mentioned Star Wars, and I I wrote in the comment that like I got emotional reading that Hayden Christensen was coming back. And again, I I just for someone who didn't like those movies, it was a weird feeling just kind of thinking about how to me amazing it was that he's coming back. And again, it's just, it really just puts into perspective, like how much star Wars as a fan of media, how much star Wars means to me and what it's, 
you know, meant throughout my life and the enjoyment that I get out of it to, to hear that he's coming back. So I'm certainly excited for that show, but there's, there's so much to be excited about with these other announcements of these shows that they've done. So star Wars is, I don't know if you can even say arguably, I'm pretty sure it's obviously the single largest intellectual property in all of popular culture. Um, it's a multi-billion dollar franchise. There's nothing else that rivals it. There's nothing else that's really even close in terms of the value of it and the reach of it and sort of the ubiquity of it. Um, there's not a lot of corners of you know the first world um, that you can go to and find people who don't know what Star Wars is. You might find people who don't recognize the bat symbol, but you won't find a lot of people that don't recognize the, the Imperial Death March the sound of Darth Vader breathing, the sound a lightsaber makes when you when you strike it, the sound a blaster makes, like all of these things are are just sort of accepted as part of our culture, and I, you know, kind of in the same way, it felt like DC's kind of retconning a little bit Justice League. Um, it's almost like a little bit like what Hayden Christensen's doing is is kind of taking something that was universally panned and disliked. And maybe trying to recapture it a little bit and try to put maybe a different spin on on how we view that. And maybe it's maybe it's different for the future. Maybe there's something that happens on this show and we come away from this from the prequel trilogy feeling a little bit different. Um, I th- I'm still planning that I will not like episode two at all for any reason. And I will find most of the decisions that were made in it terrible and and bad dialogue that's acted poorly. Um, but maybe I won't. Yeah, maybe we'll just, you know, maybe it would just be, I can completely overlook that now and I don't have to think about it. I can take this and this and I, I will just give that a pass, so to speak. Um, but Rob, question for you too, based on the description of this show, what do you think are the chances the Acolyte finally brings to the screen Darth Plagueis. You know, that's one of those characters that's existed out there. It's, he's referenced. Um, he certainly is, is a big factor. I think that going into Rise of Skywalker, there was, or even, even coming out of The Force Awakens, there were people who had the theory that, that Plagueis was Snoke and Snoke was yeah. Plagueis. And vice versa, you know, that was very commonly thought of. That was a, that was a theory a lot of people had. Um, throughout the sequel trilogy, we thought we would finally see that character. Um, it, it feels like if you're going to continue to build in this world, if you're going to continue to do shows and films in this world, that might be the one character that's out there that you that we haven't seen um, that's got a lot of mystery behind um, that could really drive a show like this. Um, I'm hoping for it. Uh, I'm optimistic that we will eventually get that because I think there's a lot of mystery there um, and and certainly a character that's got some weight. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I have read the Darth Plagueis novel roughly four times. And it's really fascinating, uh, his relationship with Palpatine 
and how that developed and eventually he was portrayed by Palpatine. So if he's finally brought into the fold, I think that could be really enjoyable. But also one one other show, um, I say one other, but one show that I'm curious about as well is is Lando because do we get to see, and I'm sure we will, but how much, how much do we get to see of both versions of Lando in this show? Is this strictly focused on Donald Glover or do we get Billy D. Williams in appearances? Maybe he books, maybe he bookends bookends some of this. Um, maybe he provides narration for his adventures. Um, because I like seeing him in Rise of Skywalker. He had a very small part, but again, it was cool just to it was cool to see him in the scenes that he had. Um, so I, I hope he has, you know, a pretty decent part at least um, in that show. I'm I'm in favor of either of those options. Um, I think that's a character that. Um, we got to see him in the second, you know, in, in Empire Strikes Back, and certainly he and Han Solo have a history and have a past, and we got to see glimpses of it in the, the Solo film. Um, I would be interested to see more. Certainly when we meet him, he's he's certainly somebody who's got a lot going on. There's There's a story to be told there. How did he get to that point? What does he do after that point between then and the time we see him again in Empire Strikes Back? Um, but certainly, I think there's a lot. There's certainly uh, filled-in versions of, of his story after Return of the Jedi, or I should say between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, you know, there's certainly things that happen even after that where, you know, he rises to the rank of general because of how he performs in, in certain uh, battles um, that, that occur between the Rebel Alliance and the Empire. Um, give me all of that. I'll, I'd be happy to watch any of those stories. Yeah. And one, you know, again, another story that is really interesting to me is this Andor show because Rogue One to me was a huge surprise, especially with all of the talk about how troubled the production was and how many reshoots they had to go through and losing a director. And to me, it turned out to be one of the, the top star Wars movies that have been put out, um, in any of the series, um, you know, not just the standalone movies and Cassian coming back for his own show, because I really liked him. So it's going to be interesting to see what he did before rogue one. And this is again, another show where to me, it's going to be driven by the character piece of it, which I'm looking forward to some really great, just character driven stories because you could tell this guy in rogue one, even though we, you know, we only got him for what two hours and 25 minutes, however long rogue one was um, he had a deep connection and commitment to the Republic. Um, Basically almost everything in his life is dedicated to them. You know, he says a line in there where he gets, he gets upset and I can't remember the exact age, but he's like, I've been fighting in this war since I was like seven years old. Um, I, I've never known anything else. I didn't have a choice. And it's it, to me, that's, what's going to drive this show is seeing 
where he started in this and why it's so important to him and the things that he's had to do. Cause again, you can tell from that movie that he had to do some things that he probably has some trouble living with on a day-to-day basis, but he realized, you know, he does them because he realizes that if this doesn't happen, something probably worse is going to, uh, so I'm really interested in these character moments that we seem that we'll get from this show. It's it's going to be fascinating. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I haven't had a whole lot of opportunity to look into it, but I'm fascinated just by the title of the show, A Droid Story. You think yeah. about how, how many iconic droids exist all through Star Wars, and you think about BB-8 and R2-D2 don't have dialogue. They only beep. That's it. They make beeps, and an R2 kind of has that little Wah! sound that mm-hmm. cracks me up every time he does it. Um, and and yet, these characters are able to have a personality. They're able to they're able to to uh, make us feel something about the peril that they're in. Or, or or really, R2 is is kind of one of the bravest characters in the original trilogy. I mean, he he's really. Uh, quite an interesting, uh, well-written uh, character who's not real and has no dialogue. Um, droids are just such a part of Star Wars, and I'm very interested to see with what they do with that. You know, are they going Are they going to make a droid a central character in something um, and, and give it an opportunity to tell its story? Um, I think that's going to be really cool. Yeah, no, that's, you know, all of these shows have their own reasons to be interesting. And I like the fact that, you know, there's different layers to what they're doing. You know, they're doing live action. They're doing animated shows. Um, You know, certainly the Star Wars visions where they're bringing in, you know, different people to do each episode. Um, So it's just a different spin on each of these stories. I like the fact that they are branching out this universe because certainly we've seen that with the Mandalorian um, where you're you're getting all of these different directors um, to come in and help put a spin on the Star Wars universe and for the most part has been extremely successful um, letting outside people come into the Star Wars universe and, you know, you – if you follow up on it at all, you've seen where these, you know, directors, um, especially um, Robert Rodriguez, who did um, not the previous episode, but the one before that um, titled The Tragedy, he was just absolutely fanboying over being able to be a part of this universe. And, you know, I, I think bringing in different people into the fold has really helped star wars here get back on track and it only seems to be headed in the right direction because it certainly looked like they might have needed to take a break from star wars for a while besides the mandalorian um to maybe get some of the uh, the bad taste out of fans mouth but it looks like they are trying to make up for that right away and you know give back to the fans that might've been disappointed with what happened with that. Um, the ending of the Skywalker saga. It's divisive. I think, um, I enjoyed Phantom Menace. I think 
Um, obviously, you can see it as kind of a retelling uh, of A New Hope, and I think that's a very fair criticism. Um, as, it, as it goes, it gets more and more divisive. Um, you really like Last Jedi. Uh, Harrison was here with us last week doing um, Mondays with Mando. He likes Last Jedi. Uh, I'm, I'm with the bulk of other fans and strongly disliking The Last Jedi. And then you get to Rise of Skywalker, which I actually liked a lot more than most people did. Um, but I acknowledge that it's divisive, and there's aspects of that that I dislike. And to your point, I think if Disney had said, we kind of want to take a break with Star Wars, you would have understood it, although I wouldn't have expected it, because again, Star Wars makes them a lot of money. Um, right, exactly. And, and, it, and, and as we've talked about on Mondays with Mando, um, the Mandalorian has made Star Wars fun again. And, and has made it, you know, in some aspects, it's made, um, it's made Star Wars fun. It's made Disney Plus something you need to subscribe to, and you wonder how many of these shows would have been canceled if if The Mandalorian fell flat on its face. How many of these would not have ever been greenlit, and how many of these were maybe a little bit riskier of a pitch, but based on the wild success and universal love of the Mandalorian and baby Yoda um, and all of the merchandise he's been able to sell for them. Are, are they just saying, okay, look, if you're bringing me something star Wars here, boom, here's $30 million, go make it. Um, you wonder if that's happening. I, I'll tell you what I'm excited about is, is we heard that Taika Watiti is writing and directing a star Wars film. What the hell is that going to look like? That is going to be, just wild it's going to be fun um i'm very excited about that well rob um not to get your hopes up but the initial talk is his movie is going to be set in the same time as knights of the old republic um and if that's the case i i might need two or three oxygen tanks um when we get to that point because that guy directing that era of star wars yeah um that could be something insanely special especially if they give us hk47 and he does the voice of it that'd be Mm, better that would be yeah that would be awesome um i have to say really quickly because it always boggles my mind because you mentioned Rise of Skywalker, it's still, I will never understand how that movie has a lower score than Attack of the Clones. Um, Please, if you listen to this show and you are one of the listeners that feels that way, I would love to just pick your brain um, to hear (laughs) the reasonings behind it and understand you know why that would be because I truly do not understand how that movie has a lower score than attack of the clones. I know it was not what people wanted and there was a lot of controversial decisions that were made with it. And they felt like, you know, some of it um, completely ignored the last Jedi. Cause then you had some people coming out of the woodwork to say that, wait a minute, the last Jedi was actually good and rise of Skywalker crapped all over it uh but i I don't understand how it's lower than attack of the clones i to me that is attack of the clones is the worst thing 
that had like it's the worst Star Wars movie by a mile, in my opinion. There's not a close second. So, uh, again, like I just said, any listeners, if if you're in that boat, please um, write in and let me know why you would think that, because I'd be certainly interested uh, to hear those thoughts on that. Um, So that would be awesome. But, you know, Rob, we've talked about a lot of information here, a lot of really fun, um, exciting stuff, some of it that makes us a little bit nervous, like we talked about with Spider-Man 3, and some of it that makes us really eager, um, like Loki and Obi-Wan. And we still, you know, again, there's so much that, we probably only scratched the surface of all of these topics. Um, you know, not even talking about Thor four and the fact that lady Sif is actually coming back in, in that, which is to me exciting. She was an enjoyable character in, you know, Thor one and two, and she was actually in an episode of agents of shield, which I thought she was very good in as well. So, you know, we get her back in that and, you know, that's exciting. We certainly talked about Abomination coming back. Um, so there's just, there's so much to be excited about if you're a fan of this universe that they've created because it is only getting bigger and more bold in the direction that they're willing to go. You know, um, speaking of Abomination coming back, there was a lot of things in The Incredible Hulk that they just kind of left dangling um, what if She-Hulk gives us the payoff on the leader? Yeah, um, I could 100% see that that happening, um, which would be great. Because, again, we don't know. We don't know what role Abomination and Mark Ruffalo will play in this show. Um you know, certainly I think Abomination will have a bigger role than what Mark Ruffalo would, but it, we What is his state because of yeah, we're getting a Black Widow movie, but in the timeline that they're going to be going from, uh, Black Widow's gone. You know, she sacrificed herself to make sure the team's mission was uh, six, you know, was a success. So how is he dealing with that? Um, I'm really excited for the Black Widow film. Um at the risk of them kind of retconning her death and and having that be meaningless, um, it would be a shame to move forward in the MCU without her. Um, A, Scarlett Johansson was fantastic as Black Widow, and and the character was really interesting. It was really good. And I sort of like seeing her in in kind of that leadership role that we saw her in Endgame, um, where she's just trying to hold everybody together, and she's trying to run the ship begrudgingly. She, she She never looked for that role. It just kind of fell to her. Um, there's so much there that's going to, uh, 
we have so much to look forward to in, in a year where we went all of 2020 without any new MCU content. And we just felt like there was never anything to look forward to. Holy cow. The next couple of years is just going to be an onslaught of great, interesting, compelling uh, Star Wars, Marvel content. And we haven't even talked about what Disney itself is doing. They're going to have Beauty and the Beast and Josh Gad is involved. I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but it sounds like it's going to be a show of some kind. They're doing something with Swiss Family Robinson, Percy Jackson. They're doing the Mighty Ducks, and Emilio Estevez is attached to it, and they also have Lauren Graham involved. That's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. I mean, the Mighty Ducks is one of those movies, uh, both of them, actually. Well, there's, I know there's actually three. We don't really talk about the third one. The first two, I probably watched 100 million times between my brother and I as kids. You know, that was just something that um, everybody knows those movies. Uh, Turner and Hooch is coming back. On Hulu, Handmaiden's Tale is getting reviewed, renewed for a fifth season. Not a show I watch, but I know that that's a massive, massive show a lot of people get into. FX is getting an Alien series. That's crazy. Um, there's going to be something with Willow. And Indy 5, uh, Indiana Jones 5, directed by James Mangold. The fourth one we don't really speak of, um, but if they can find a way to redeem this character, I, I would... I, I yeah. want to see more indie. I just didn't want to see the fourth one. I mean, let's not forget this is the guy that did Logan. Um, so if anybody can probably give, because what I'm hearing is this is a send-off. If anybody can give a send-off for a beloved character that has been around for a very long time and identified with one person, uh, he's proven that he can do it. So I'm really excited for that as well because – you know, James has proven to me that he certainly has an eye for great story. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's the ideal person. I, I think at one point there was some discussion about would the mantle of Indiana Jones pass on to another actor and they would keep making them. Um, certainly after the fourth one was as poorly received as it was, um, you know, that just kind of stopped right in its tracks. Um but, you, you know, you hope that it's good. You hope that that character um, kind of redeems himself. Um, they did a whole episode of South Park on, on that very idea, um, which go check that out if you have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I won't go any further on that. This is a family show. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, a, a lot of really fascinating projects have been announced from Disney. And uh, the world of pop culture feels like it's in good hands, right? Yeah, it, it certainly does. Um, again, like you said, we went from nothing to we have the next four or five years uh, of content planned. And it's just the tip of the iceberg because some of this content that we have, we still know nothing about other than a title. Um, so it's just going to be continuing to pour information. Um, we know nothing about Fantastic Four except that it's being made. We know nothing about Moon Knight, except it's being made. We know nothing about Blade, except that it's a thing. We know nothing about the Acolyte from Star Wars, like we said, but it's being made. So there's all this anticipation to, okay, what are these, you know, what exactly will be the story for Fantastic Four? What is the Acolyte about? Um, there's just so much to look forward to 
Um, and in between time, we're going to start getting some content. You know, we're getting WandaVision next month, which, you know, is it's not far away. The way that this year has been going, you know, this year is almost done. We're literally, what, two and a half weeks away from the end of this year. And boom, we're into January and WandaVision hits. And then we've got Falcon and Winter Soldier. So we're going to have things in between to start kind of, you know, wetting our palate, so to speak, between announcements of what some of these other shows are going to be. It's an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to be a fan of science fiction and and fantasy and comics and uh, all of the other genres that kind of uh, uh, go alongside that. It makes you wonder how many of these ideas started as movies that then had to turn into TV shows because of the pandemic. Um, certainly that's so far down the road for some of these things that um, you can't imagine that they're thinking it's going to last that long. But it also makes you wonder, do they see with the uncertainty of the feature film market and, and the golden age of streaming right now, certainly all of the big shows, I think, that, that dominate what people talk about, it's mostly on streaming services. Um, yeah. You know, the shows that exist on Netflix, the shows that are on Hulu and, and exclusive to HBO Max um, or, you know, HBO shows that are primarily watched on Max. Um, you know, Amazon Prime has its set of, of just big prestige level TV shows and, and certainly Disney Plus with The Mandalorian. Is that where all the big shows are going to go? Is that is that the future? Um, and is that how Disney's reading the tea leaves and saying, OK, that's what we're going to do. That's the future of entertainment is big shows on streaming platforms. Yeah, it you know, it certainly looks like that's the direction. It's certainly um an interesting direction, but they've proven that that's, um, as of right now, there's some surefire hits with that. So, um, I'll continue to take that. Uh, hopefully like we talked about though, we, we haven't really seen the, the death of cinema. I, I hope that's not where we're going to go. Um, I hope that, you know, first and foremost, we want to get through this and we want to find a way that we can go back to what we, you know, had as normal before where we were able to be out and engage and, you know, everybody will be safe during that time period. Um, you know, first and foremost, I hope to get back to that for the safety of everybody involved. Um, and then as just an entertainment standpoint, it, it, I want the movie theaters back. I want to be able to have that experience again. But in the meantime, it it definitely seems like we're in good hands in terms of the content that uh, we're getting and the, the platforms that we can get to. Uh, it's an exciting time. I mean, if you don't own Disney Plus as a subscription service right now, um, Disney's really just said, hey, you need it. Um, you're not going to have a clue what people at work are talking about what people in your social circle are talking about if you do not subscribe to our service. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely the time to get it. You know, we've, we've got these shows that are coming out pretty soon that will tide us over until the next announcements. Um, and I, I definitely uh, obviously would recommend Disney Plus and for some of the things that we talked about earlier with HBO Max, it's certainly a time to 
you know, look into getting that. And, you know, even if it's not right now, you know, obviously we've got Wonder Woman coming out here in 13 days, uh, actually 12 now based on, uh, you know, where we are in the day here and when you're listening to this. But, you know, there's a reason to have HBO Max with all of these movies coming out here in the future in 2021. There's some big releases on HBO Max um, that would be worth the $14.99 to, to me to see The Matrix 4, regardless of how that trilogy ended. Um, to see Kong vs. Godzilla for the sheer spectacle of that. Uh, Suicide Squad, because to me it's it's James Gunn. Um, I'm not going to watch Suicide Squad because I like the first one. I'm going to watch it because they've given it to James Gunn. And he's, to me, he proved he could do a team-up movie with Guardians of the Galaxy. So how does, you know, let's see what he does with this. So there's a lot of things on HBO Max that I also think are going to be released that are definitely worth the $14.99 a month. Um, So I would definitely recommend getting that one as well. And we didn't even talk about it, I don't think yet, but the MODOK uh, stop-action animation show on Hulu, that came out of nowhere mm-hmm. looks amazing. I mean, first of all, Patton Oswald is, to me, one of the most intelligent comedians out there. I mean, just I, I've, I've heard him in interviews. I've read one of his books. I've heard a lot of his stand-up. He is so funny and so smart with his with his humor and i really enjoy what he does and and i know that he's a you know he's a super fan of, of all of this kind of entertainment as well um to see what they're gonna do it i believe it's made by the same company that does robot chicken as far as yes. animation. um and and i love robot chicken which you can also get on hulu um that's gonna be a blast and uh i'm really looking forward to that too yeah, it's uh, again, we you know can't stress enough exciting time to be a fan of this genre. Um, Rob, this has been you know, this has been a first for us where we review several different topics um, and not just a movie or a string of movies like we do with the MCU. So, you know, this was certainly different, but it was a lot of fun because there was a lot to to talk about and dissect. And, you know, we still don't know the whole nine yards of it like we talked about but this has been uh this has been a fun episode to do uh, as always i appreciate you being a part of this show you've become really integral to it um from when i first started it so it's been it's been fun incorporating these ideas into the show uh it, it was great to come on and do this especially um because you know for what seemed like a, like we said a long period of time there was just nothing really to get us super excited and then disney just drops this on us and we have all of these other things to to talk about um yeah it's uh it's a lot of fun and i'm looking forward to the next time we get to do this yeah absolutely so you know everybody thanks for being a part of the show and listening and uh i i do want to one more time i want to plug that if you've been listening to the show uh the season finale of the mandalorian which rob and i you know, do an episode every Sunday for Mondays with Mando to publish it on Mondays. Uh, we will be once again for the season finale joined by the basement binge in Harrison. So that's going to be a lot of fun uh, to have the three of us together talking about that. And if you haven't listened to the basement binge again, he, he plugs the show for us um, a lot on his channel, which we really appreciate. 
Um, so I'd like to do the same, you know, go to the basement bench, check out his show. Uh, it's really good stuff. And we'll be back here uh, next week for the season finale here of Mando to talk about that episode. I'm really looking forward to it. So Rob, thanks again, all the listeners, you know, thank you so much and we'll catch you next time.